Hey there, welcome to another episode of An Irish Man Abroad with me, Jarlath Regan. I hope you enjoy this extract from my second interview with Sharon Horgan. It's obviously only a small 30-minute clip here, but you can go back and enjoy the full hour of this interview and the original interview, which was one of the first episodes we ever recorded. And you can hear all my deep-dive chats with hundreds of the greatest Irish people ever to have left our shores, along with our other series, Irish Man in America, Irish Man Behind Bars, Irishman Inside Basketball, you name it. If you're into it, there's a series there over on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. And it only takes a minute to sign up. And for less than a fiver, you'll have a no obligation access to everything we make and have made over the years. You'll also be able to walk around with the spring in your step of knowing that you helped this show survive and grow through these difficult times. I want to give a big shout out to our chosen charity partner, Jigsaw.ie. Jigsaw are a youth mental health charity that works to equip young Irish people with the mental health skills they'll need to survive in life. We all remember how hard it was to be young. Well, during a pandemic, I shudder to think what they're going through. Well, Jigsaw are there to help these young people. And they've seen a 400% jump in their demand for their one-to-one and group services as a result. With their phone line, their webinars and their website, they are making a massive difference back home across all communities to thousands of young people. But why not take a minute to go and visit the site and see if they can help you or someone young in your life? Or maybe through a small donation, you can help them. That's Jigsaw.ie, the chosen charity partner of An Irish Man Abroad. That's the small talk. Now let's get down to business. Now, your programme. What's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white, and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Thrigo! Sharon Horgan, thank you so much for coming back on Irish Man Abroad. It's three years since we spoke. I can't believe it's three years. That doesn't seem possible. At that time, you were sitting in the office of Merman and you were working on Catastrophe at that moment. Oh, yeah, I guess I was. There was a room full of costumes and photos on a wall. Maybe they weren't costumes. Maybe They, they were weren't just my of, costumes. Okay, they were someone else's. Um, the photos, I don't remember. Because I know that three years ago, Holly and I were writing in that office and probably even writing Motherland, I think, or a film. And then, but yeah, I guess that makes sense. Rob would have come there some of the time. It's quite funny because even though Catastrophe hadn't happened then, pretty much everything that's on telly at the moment (laughs) was in development of some stage. Like Dennis and I in that office wrote The Circuit as well. And Holly and I in that office wrote Motherland or, you know, the first sort of version of it before it went to Graham and Helen. And then, yeah, the beginning of Catastrophe. Not all of it, I don't think, because I think we moved office. But yeah, it was very, when I think about it now, that was um, 
that was a very busy period making work of which most of it hadn't been paid for. Like everything was on spec. And so that's kind of interesting to think about that. That You were not being paid when I last spoke to you about those spinning plates were, were being no, spun I mean, on your own book. They were, they were, that was all being spun off our own because they're all at the beginning sort of stages. I think eventually, you know, we eventually we got the script for the circuit commission. But I mean, in terms of, you know, getting it to a point where we could go in and pitch it. I mean, the film, we, Holly and I wrote our film there and um, which is only just sort of moving now. And that was co- completely on spec. And I guess Motherland, when it started first, was just, you know, us talking to Graham and, and yeah, I mean, could I, yes, I, of course I was paid for them all eventually, but you know what I mean? It, it was, when I think about it now, it was an awful lot of work done there, but not for one minute were we sure that any of them would end up on the telly. And that's, you know, one of the great things about making this new series of Catastrophe is that we're like, oh my God, this is, this is going to be on the telly. It doesn't matter kind of <laughs> what happens. There's no doubt. It's going to be on the telly because um, all of those things, all of those things we were writing then, I mean, I think maybe Catastrophe included, even though, you know, we knew we had a pilot, just don't know whether it's going to go anywhere. So you don't know whether you're writing in a sort of vacuum just for the walls and yourselves. You don't really know if anyone's going to get to hear it or see it. Well, let's work back from what's about to come out, which is Divorce, which is the HBO series. And that's your next, I suppose, venture abroad, if we're to stick to the title (laughs) of the show. I'll go with that Uh, for you. Yeah, that we spoke in kind of part one of our conversation about you first coming to London, being born in London, moving back to Ireland at four. Oh, yeah. uh, coming over to have a look, tricking around, as you referred to it, <laughs> for a long time and doing a bit of acting, but mm. not knowing how to get it to become a thing that earned money. Yeah. Now here we are on the other side of that three years and you have the hot thing or one of the hot things. You've produced one of the biggest <laughs> successes in British comedy of the last three years. At that time... We spoke about the importance of having a bullshit radar and not being willing to kind of listen and know when people are talking shit. Mm -hmm. I'd imagine that you're hearing a lot more bullshit now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, but that's okay because it doesn't sort of, you know, it doesn't go into reverse. It just gets uh, stronger, you know, because... So the radar gets more... Yeah, I think so. I mean, the more you hear it. And of course, it's lovely that when people like your stuff and and of course you suddenly find that more people want to meet you if something that you've made is done okay or, you know, but it doesn't, you know, your head certainly doesn't start turning again. I mean, you, you're sort of made of much sort of sterner stuff. Mm-hmm. So... You, yeah, you go along to the meetings and then you come out of them and you don't feel like your life is going to change or anything. You know, you just kind of continue on just doing what you're doing. But you say that it doesn't happen to you, but there's countless stories in showbiz of people being told by too many people, you're amazing. Whatever you want, Sharon, you, you do it. I mean, is there... Yeah, I get told that. Right. So but I'm aware that, that that's not, that that's, a very easy thing to say and of course people are more likely to say that to you if you've got something on that has done okay because of course they're going to say that 
but you don't come out of the meeting going, anything I write is going to be made into a blah. <laughs> you just come out going, oh, that was nice. And then you just get on with your life. How? <laughs> let's talk about America then, because as I think it was Graham that said to us in the beginning, or it was Dylan Moore and said to me in one of the earliest episodes of this, that with Americans, awesome is the starting point of the compliments <laughs> that they'll, they'll give what you're doing. Yeah. That means okay. Yeah. You did quite a few pilots over there for different networks uh-huh. that didn't get off the ground. Uh-huh. And you said in part one, didn't count as a result, you felt. Yeah, yeah. Now you have this HBO series with Sarah Jessica Parker and it's off the ground and ready, or it's on the runway about to take off. Uh-huh, uh-huh. How are you with the awesome being the bottom line and how much of it actually goes in? Oh, well, like none of it goes in. I mean, it'd probably be better if a little bit more did go in, but... Um, you know, when you've a show that's about to come out, the work stops being, it stops being creative and it, it becomes about selling it. So I've spent the last nearly a month kind of talking about it. I mean, not as my mm-hmm. full-time job, but, you know, an awful lot of time has been put aside to do that. So, and it, and it's obviously very nice to hear because you you are showing it to people for the first time and you're kind of, showing your baby and I think you do want people to tell you it's awesome so yeah so that's obviously the the response that you want but in terms of like I was just in LA a couple of a couple of weeks ago and so I I sort of went to see everyone because I had to and um did the rounds and yes awesome is the starting point I kind of just have to train my face to do uh I'm excited and interested uh look because otherwise I would just sit there going, you're all mental. Yeah, so you have or, your, your, your stock lines of that's very kind of you to say. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you kind of, I think the more you do this and the more meetings you do, you kind of, you have your stock kind of things to say. And also you you learn how to respond to niceties. I mean, I think when I went over first, I just didn't. And, uh, you know, I didn't know how to take it. And I would just laugh or whatever. So now I kind of, you know, I'm okay with it. But yeah, it's a bit of an odd period at the moment because we're just about to launch it and in a month or so. And so there's a lot of that. So describe to me the pressure of this one, because the, your your role on this is not the same as with Catastrophe, where, no. you know, it's just you and Rob writing it together. And yeah. this has now been farmed out as a series to other writers. I'd imagine that releasing your baby and allowing it to be raised in some ways in these extra episodes with someone else doing the words well, is extremely difficult. It is and it isn't because, um, I, I mean, I've, I, I learned a lot making it because I, I kind of had to learn to release my grip a bit because, um, yes, you do farm out a number of the episodes, but it's very much within your grasp still, you know, so, I mean, so when you, you have a veto. Oh, yeah, completely. Completely. 100%. Yeah. And well, you know, I can't say 100 percent because there's other creative voices and it would be weird to be an overruler for for the sake of it. You know, um, I've always been someone who enjoys collaborating because I always assume that there's someone there who's smarter or funnier than me. And and I think part of the reason why 
I'm still working and I've done okay is because I'm really good at spotting those people and grabbing them and then holding on to them. <laughs> so with divorce, we, I mean, obviously I wrote the pilot, but then Paul Sims came on, who's our showrunner and co-exec on it. And he, you know, had suggestions of writers he wanted to bring in. And then I had my own suggestions of writers that I'd worked with before making all those pilots that didn't count. And so we, uh, you know, assembled our team and, and we spent a month with them working out the stories and where the show was going to go and working out all the outlines. And so we knew exactly what the series was about. And then, you know, the, I co-wrote another few of them. And, you know, as the scripts came in, just my relief got more and more obvious that they were really good. Yeah. I mean, so, some of them needed work or only because, you know, simple things like the story that we broke in the room wasn't sitting well where it was in relation to the series or that particular writer's voice would have suited another episode better stuff like that but everything you can kind of deal with and make the changes necessary and and from that point on you know you're you're doing a, a read through for every episode before you start filming it it's you can be very all over it if that's what you want mm. and I think when I went out there I was like well I'm here this is what I'm doing I may as well really be all over it and and I was and I think at the end of it I kind of realized that it it wasn't absolutely necessary <laughs> because there's an awful lot of people who are very good at their jobs and you know there were people that you know were handpicked and so now it does feel like I can sort of back off a bit and now it does feel like handing over my baby to a certain extent but you know, I was there for five months. I was there for every second of it, every now, second of filming and editing and everything. So that seeing it from inception to done mm. to edit over and mm. now to me talking to you downstairs and you saying, well, I've kind of seen it now, so I probably won't watch it when it comes out. That experience off the back of catastrophe, seeing it now shot in order, making rewrites as you go based on mm -hmm. how it's going mm. is so different from catastrophe, mm -hmm. which is essentially on a shoestring in mm. comparison. Mm -hmm. My question is, does less money give you an urgency or some benefits in making comedy? Or are you just better to have the kitchen sink? Well, I think that was one of the really interesting things to me was no matter that there was... I, almost 10 times the amount of money certainly for the pilot you know it didn't really change anything I mean obviously it's bigger on so many different levels and you know we have proper you know stars in it and and you know budget gets used up in all sorts of extraordinary ways and publicity being one of them and you know um it's it's amazing that you have the same problems. You have the same problems no matter what the budget. You know, um, you're always going to run out of time. You're always going to run out of money. It's They've got a completely different way of doing things. I mean, it's very sort of unionized. And so everything, you know, your transport takes up the majority of the budget, for example. And so it didn't really, you know, I, I wore it as a badge of honor that we'd made Catastrophe for so little I really enjoyed telling my American counterparts what it cost and how we did it and in how much time. But it's the same old shit, you know, it's the same old problems. You um, must have made Louis look like, you know, 
he's a total prima donna <laughs> the way he's doing this no because i he, think he i think he he spends even less than um, catastrophe yeah yeah really yeah that's what i heard because of you know his the deal he made which was to you can give me this small amount of money if i have total do it freedom all. Yeah. yeah so i think comparatively you know he had may have had less <laughs> so their jaws are hitting the floor as you tell them these war stories and they're they're like yeah. how how does how is this possible how yeah. does this exist on yeah. this other side of the world and produce this incredibly successful thing but your argument is that it's ultimately at its core comedy the essence of it is the same regardless of how much is spent on transport and uh, the unions yeah i mean it's the same i think what i meant was it's the same and no matter how much money you have it always seems to run out <laughs> and there's just a, a different level of problems but they're the same essentially the same problems and yeah it, i mean it's the same in that it's it's storytelling and like you said it's it's comedy but um i'm never gonna be able to get my head around i think that that's that's i mean if i think if, if we had i wonder if we had the divorce budget for catastrophe what would happen yeah what would it maybe look it like? would maybe it would maybe it would just evaporate like it like it does i don't know it'd be interesting to i would love if someone approached me and gave me that uh, <laughs> challenge i'd the, see what i could do this is all very anoraki sitcom type of chat that i'm sure comedy writers that listen to the show will enjoy but the <laughs> universals of what you've produced and what you're continuing to produce You've talked about how you have these things to say and that you've kind of figured out how you best do it. Mm. And now people are willing to listen. There must be a certain urgency to get it out while you can and while people are still <laughs> interested. Not to not to say that there'll come a time that they won't be, but we know how fickle the industry is. Yeah, I guess so. Although, and it does seem like that it does seem like that's what i'm doing you know the whole sort of making hay while the sun shines kind of thing but it's genuinely just a big coincidence you know it's a coincidence that that i started you know that hbo approached me about um making a show with sarah jessica around about the same time that i was making the pilot for catastrophe like i said like we started on motherland like three years ago circuit the same it's just uh, it's just all kind of happened at the at the one at time, the one and time. it's not necessarily because I I thought, right, someone likes me, I better mm -hmm. capitalize on this. It's just how how it worked out. It's just the it's just the sure. timings of things. Well, one of the things again that we talked about in the last chat that you said was maybe the most annoying thing to you in the industry was how they go right. This is the thing. Now we've decided that Mrs. Brown's boys type setup is the thing that people want and we're going to do that with everything yeah do you worry at all that they're now identifying the thing that catastrophe had <laughs> and trying to I, I, put I'd it say, in other stuff I, i'd say there's an element of that for sure i can't say it annoys me but um i do think it's a destructive thing and i was talking about this at the mctaggart you know that I, or the ultimate mm. mctaggart that i did with frankie and just that it feels like a very uncreative, it feels anti-creative to tell people that this is what you're looking for. Because I don't see how you get any true um, voices that way. I think you get 
a dozen scripts in a pile that are about the same thing told by people who shouldn't necessarily be telling that story so yeah I think it's um it's fine if it happens it's just not necessarily the best thing for the industry <laughs> or for the creative minds behind yeah. it you know I mean I I remember pitching stuff in to the Irish film board and them mm -hmm. saying to me do you not have something like the hangover yeah and you're going yeah. no because the hangover yeah. is already in the world and that's yeah. not my world uh-huh this is m what i have of course they're going to say that though because that's like the easiest thing to say isn't it name the biggest box office yeah, hit and, <laughs> yeah go, and go give us one do of that yeah yeah your conscious decision to make a catastrophe in such a way and to address the issue of relationships in the way you did has been pinpointed by so many people as the thing that set it apart this realness uh with this twist of there being so much heart and tenderness beneath it <laughs> i struggle all the time now with making the decision over whether i can talk about this in comedy because mm -hmm. it's so personal mm -hmm. and I'm still not there with whether it's okay. Really? What's for the, you or for the yeah, world? Well, what's the dividing line for you when it comes to a personal thing that's happened or something you've witnessed that you've been part of that's too personal to go in and what goes in? Like, what's the dividing line between the two? How do you decide? I think it's very hard to sort of consciously decide that especially with your own sort of traumas <laughs> but I mean it's easy to decide to not tell a story because someone else might get hurt or someone it's someone else's kind of truth or whatever as far as my stories go it's different I mean yours is stand-up and that's coming directly from you so you're laying yourself out on the line it's very you're really exposing yourself and so say you know if I do an interview or you know even something like this I, I would be much more cagey like I feel genuinely uncomfortable talking about anything that isn't the work you know mm. and that's how I sort of protect that when you're using it for you know a sitcom where you're they're fictional characters albeit with the same names I mean that's the only tricky thing <laughs> it doesn't feel like I have to protect myself because because they're you know you're funneling them through the mouth of a different character and you can hide a lot of stuff you know and through the other traditions characters. of sitcom as yeah. well that it's like it's it's just a play yeah so i think the only thing is i wouldn't put in is something like one of my kids has said or something like that because they don't have the you know they they don't have a say and and that that feels like that feels kind of not right if i use a story which is directly from someone, and I know they'll know, I ask, you know. You do ask, I right. do, yeah. I mean, I didn't used to. <laughs> yeah, I think that came up, that in, in I didn't pulling people came to you afterwards yeah, and said. But, but like, say, for example, with divorce, a friend who'd been through something very similar, you know, I took out and, and said, just tell me what happened that day when you asked for it, when you asked for the divorce, and tell me what happened the next day. And what was the first thing he said when, you know, so just to kind of get specifics, because I haven't been through one and I kind of felt like I needed some authentic kind of detail, you know. Mm -hmm. So I do ask 
if I take something from my own life that doesn't just involve me, uh, <laughs> sometimes I wait till the very last minute. <laughs> and oh, I really? go, this is going in. But um, last minute meaning this is going to be on Channel Four tonight, or usually at the edit the stage. Okay. Usually at the edit stage. But yeah, I don't really worry about that. But I do think it's different when it's coming out your mouth. You're, sure. you know, the person, and people know it's you. I, I don't know. But then I, I love. I love watching confessional stuff. You know, mm. I love I love hearing someone being very honest about specifics to them. Well, one of the things that comes up again in Motherland a lot, as does in Catastrophe, I'd love to hear you talk about, is the kind of the mean girls element of parenthood. <laughs> the mombies or these mother's groups who... You even if you don't have a kid listening to this, you're aware of the clique yeah. of girls with kids who, you know, you're not really cool enough to hang out with us. <laughs> what was your experience of that? And am I right in saying that it was something that stuck in your crawl from that time? <laughs> yeah, d yeah, it was something that stuck in my crawl. But um, but it's also got to do with my own defensiveness as well. I mean, it's not like there's huge villains out there who are just waiting to <laughs> thwart me it's uh, it's part of my own kind of it's it's my own issue so situations i may have found myself in as a new mother or wanting to to mix and not quite being able to pull it off is half of it is what my face is doing i'm sure at the time <laughs> when i'd approach and half of it is you know you know the other as in you um, weren't good at hiding your emotions as to what you thought yeah, of these people. Yeah, I, I mean, I've been told by people once they've had a few glasses of wine and feel like they can say that kind of thing to me that um, I, I, you know, I, I'd, I'd walk around looking like an un unapproachable cow. <laughs> I mean, that's that's my shyness or my, you know, just I got to get in and get out mm. kind ofness. But I can imagine it's off-putting. <laughs> so there, there wasn't a, an experience with those moms, or was there, where you thought, you know, someday I will write about this. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought I'd write about it. I mean, Holly and I wrote the, you know, the ABC pilot, Bad Mom, before, you know, way before any of this. And I guess there was an element of being an outsider in that. But no, I mean, it was, you know, it came from Helen and Graham as well. Just that that sort of sense of being the new girl or, you know, like similar, like you could, it's it's comparable to school in a way. You, you want to find your gang, you want to find your people and not quite having the tools to do that. And was that, there an Irishness element to it? Like, was there being an Irish woman in London kind of trying? Oh, I don't know. Or, or were you over know. all that? I think I would have my problems anywhere, <laughs> but, um, you know, I think one of the thing, one of the stories I told to Holly, like yonks ago was walking past, um, a picnic happening almost in my backyard or the, you know, <laughs> certainly the, the park outside my backyard and I'm walking past going, oh, there's all those mums who I know having a picnic with their kids. <laughs> Why aren't I at that picnic? And um, that sort of feeling. But, you know, I'm not good at putting myself out there either. You know, I'm not good at, I'm not the kind of on email, round robin kind of, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just not good. I sort yeah, of get yeah. in and get out. You're not quick so, on the WhatsApp so, replies. Yeah. 
So yeah. it feels like, I mean, it's it's a very fun, fertile kind of environment. I knew, definitely knew it'd be something that a lot of people would relate to. And obviously you exaggerate it, but it's it's uh, it's definitely, uh, it's a two-way street, isn't it? And um, you have to make your, yourself available and, and you can't be a part-timer. You know, you have to, you can't just dip in when it suits you. So I think maybe I just would have liked to have dipped in when it suited me and it doesn't really work that way. You you're, know? you're being incredibly sympathetic to, uh, you're, you're also taking an awful lot of the guilt on yourself here for <laughs> how these groups can tend to ostracize an individual who doesn't quite fit in. And that's what I mean by the Mean Girls references. Yeah. That like Motherland is a triumph in articulation. There it is. That's just the beginning. To hear almost 60 minutes more of this conversation and hundreds more full-length Irish Man Abroad episodes and shows, join us on patreon.com forward slash Irish Man Abroad. Help support the creation and continuation of this series for years to come. For less than a fiver a month, you'll gain access to all our episodes, shows, live events. And for a limited time only, everyone who signs up in the first two weeks of August will get my brand new stand-up comedy special, Notions 11, shot by my favourite director, Mike Donnelly, in Vicar Street in March 2020. That's hundreds of hours of entertainment, inspiration and laughter for less than the price of one of your fancy coffees. Over at patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. I want to say thanks to my ultrasound producer, as always, Brian Connolly, to Tina and Mikey for making it all possible. And finally, to our chosen charity partner, Jigsaw. Jigsaw.ie are a youth mental health charity that is changing and saving lives across all communities back in Ireland. Now, more than ever, they could do with your support. Go to Jigsaw.ie to see their great work, get some help with the young people in your life, or maybe through a donation, you can help them.